0: we yeah. Exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. Today we are sort of taking a break from a lot of the films that we have been watching. <laughs> uh, we've been on a, uh, quite a horror kick lately, um, as in the last couple months. So today we are finally breaking that streak with a movie that I have never seen before, um, and a whole—it's actually a whole section of film history that I've just never delved into at all, really. Um, one of the sort of most lauded comedic figures of uh of the 50s and into the 60s uh Jerry Lewis I've never seen I haven't really seen any of his films um i have only sort of known a little bit about you know I know his, his the caricature of him um of what his shtick is I I guess uh but finally uh I have seen The Nutty Professor which is what we will be discussing today.
1: What did you think?
0: Yeah, we we actually literally like just <laughs> watched the movie before recording this. Um, I liked it. I had a good time watching it. Good. Me too. <laughs> now, you are coming into this as being like, would you consider yourself a Jerry Lewis fan?
1: Yeah, not um, as much now as I was when I was growing up I think Um, he's not someone that I return to very often I've seen a fair amount of his movies and I've liked a good portion of them
0: you grew up watching a lot of uh, classic comedy
1: because AMC used to be an actual channel called American Movie Classics I don't know what AMC stands for now and they would they would show a lot of these like all the time.
0: Cause I know that you're a big like uh, Three Stooges fan when you when you were a kid.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, that was a whole thing that like I never really was exposed to at all. Um, a lot of classic comedy. Um, aside from like Monty Python, that was kind of like the furthest back that I went. Aside from uh, I I I grew up watching uh, Singing in the Rain, that was hmm. sort of like. The, the classic comedy that I guess I could relate to. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, wasn't uh, exposed to it.
1: And that's one that's not often referred to as a comedy.
0: It is a comedy,
1: but, I mean, it's you a know, musical first. It's, well,
0: I'm thinking about it right yeah. now, because you just yeah. handed, Before we started recording, you, he, Tim had just handed me a list of... Uh, what was the author?
1: Uh, Saul Austerlitz.
0: Yeah, he wrote this book about American comedies, and he had a list of what he considered to be the, the top 100... Uh, American comedies, and Singing in the Rain was on the list, and I was like, okay, I'll. that's a, that's one that I grew up with.
1: It's a really good book, and he's a he's a really interesting writer. I also uh, enjoy a book he wrote called Sitcom, um, which is about sitcoms. <laughs> um, but that that list is like the main like issue people might have with that book. But otherwise, there's not much argument about the, the quality of that book.
0: Yeah, so um, one of the reasons why we wanted to do this film was uh, due to the recent passing of Jerry Lewis.
1: Yeah, I mean, not quite so recent anymore, but there... Well,
0: relatively recent. Yeah,
1: there was just so much going on at the time. (laughs) And, like, it was right around the time that Toby Hooper died, and that... It is... (sighs)
0: they're yeah, what, dropping like flies when was it it was like end of september early october or something like that
1: it was august i believe
0: oh okay yeah we the way we've recorded all these episodes it's been uh we've recorded them weeks before a lot of these episodes have been coming out lately yeah, so my timeline's all thrown off
1: jerry lewis died on august 20th and okay. then uh yeah. yeah toby hooper died august 26th gotcha yeah
0: yeah so uh, i guess for me anyways better late than never getting exposed to to him and i gotta say having only ever been sort of acutely aware of his persona as like the completely over the top nerdy guy and i assume that a lot of that persona is from this movie specifically or is that something that he sort of was pervasive in a lot of his stuff
1: like the character of professor frank on the simpsons is basically Dr. Julius Kelp from The Nutty Professor. Right. Like that voice and everything. I mean, that was um, one reason I was a little wary about picking The Nutty Professor as, like, the Jerry Lewis movie to show you. Right? It is his best film. I, I think on our last episode I was like, ah, oh, The Ladies Man. I think it, But I rewatched The Ladies Man the other day, and then I just rewatched The Nutty Professor with you today, and yeah, this is the better film. Um, my memories were different i guess but the jerry lewis persona that he portrays throughout his career is not really in this movie per se um it's like he took his persona and split it in half and then like you've got like the extreme the extreme of one type of him and then the extreme of the other are these just like two separate characters in this one which Harkens back to Robert Louis Stevenson's The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde.
0: Yeah, and that's something that you mentioned to me before we started watching is that uh, Jerry Lewis was heavily inspired by the uh, the 1940. What is it? 43, 42? 41. 41. Uh, you we're almost there. <laughs> almost there, yeah. 3, 2, 1. Uh, the, the, starring Spencer Tracy, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde a film. And, um, I mean, just watching this I mean the way that uh, Professor Kelp appears in just his regular form it's almost like physically speaking it's like the opposite of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde where I mean his uh, like with his teeth and his hair I mean he looks like Spencer Tracy's Mr. Hyde
1: well what's weird is he looks more like Frederick March's Mr. Hyde from the 1932 version which I always assumed that was his influence. I was watching one of the special features in the DVD uh, the other day, and he specifically says the Spencer Tracy version was his influence. And that one, um, it was a little more subtle. They ha- he had a little makeup on, but it was more through like Spencer Tracy's acting than any makeup, mm-hmm. where you would see the two yeah, different parts of the character. I,
0: I've never seen the Spencer Tracy's uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde.
1: I got bored a few minutes in and turned it off. I don't know. There's a lot of... The, the 1920 version with John Barrymore also bores me. For some reason, I don't know.
0: That, that, that's the only version that I've seen. So I've only seen the silent version. So there are the two... There's the 30s and the 40s versions. And I always get them mixed up in yeah, my mind.
1: The Frederick March one, directed by Ruben Mamoulian, with Miriam Hopkins in it also. That one... Somehow it eluded me for years. I saw it for the first time, I think this past winter... So almost a year ago, really. Um, and it blew me away. I, I love finding, like, movies from that era that somehow escaped me. And just actually... Like, they're not disappointing. Right. Often they're, they're the, disappointing yeah. when you catch up with them. Yeah. But
0: just... Because uh, I've seen yeah. a lot of images from that. And that's the one... That's the Mr. Hyde that I'm thinking of. That, like... Yeah. I mean, the haircut and the teeth are He's very almost bang on. Yeah. Um,
1: Frederick March uh, won best actor for that role
0: really no kidding
1: but mgm pulled some strings and he had he ended up having to share it with wallace beery in a tie (laughs) because they were like well well, we want our guy to win so
0: can you imagine uh somebody (laughs) winning the oscar today for his portrayal as like um, essentially a monster like that i just feel like it wouldn't happen well, I mean, the closest that we've had is, uh, in more recent times, is Heath Ledger as the Joker. And that was after he had died, and, you know, part of me... And it's a wonderful performance, and I absolutely love it, but part of me often wonders, when I think about that, I'm like, I mean, how much of that was sort of like a sympathy vote because yeah. he had died? And it was almost like a... Well, you know, for his for his whole career. I think if he were alive, and I don't know if this is just cynical or not, but, I mean, I feel like if he, he was alive at the time... I don't know if we would have won. I don't know. It's it's possible, but yeah, it just a lot of times like the genre type movies just get totally overlooked.
1: It was weird in the nineties, like the nineties started with um, like Kathy Bates winning Best Actress for Misery, and then the following oh, year, yeah, that's
0: right, that, yeah, the Anthony following Hopkins.
1: year, Silence of the Lambs yeah. got the top five. Yeah, only that's the right. only the third movie ever to do that at the Oscars. And then that decade was bookended by uh, the sixth sense being up for Best Picture.
0: So Yeah, I mean it, it happens, it but happens. it's
1: not common at all. Yeah.
0: Cause I look a, a lot of times at like the kind of stuff that uh like Andy Circus has done. And I'm like, how he didn't win an Oscar for like Golem? Yeah. It's kinda of beyond me.
1: Did Natalie Portman win for Black Swan? Yeah. I mean that that wasn't necessarily like A monstrous performance but it was a performance in a horror film that is true so we're we're very (laughs) sidetracked right now actually uh
0: um yeah so this movie aside from the the obvious jekyll and hyde comparisons and influence which you know i'm bringing a lot of that to this movie as far as like my familiarity with the story and that kind of stuff but there was also the remake in the 90s with eddie murphy which i had seen you know years ago
1: and we've discussed this before in another episode
0: was it was in our pluto nash episode i'm assuming
1: (laughs) i don't feel like going back and finding out but i think it would have to be um i have definite issues with that movie because it's it's, it stars somebody in fairly good shape making a lot of fat jokes. Um, you you appreciate the movie. You're able to see past that I just appreciate it for a, a good comedy. Yeah,
0: or at I'm... least that's
1: that was our conversation like five years ago. I don't know how you feel right now.
0: Wow, I I have no recollection of that. I mean, I guess five years ago I would have been closer to the last time I had seen the movie. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I remember years, I remember probably. enjoying it when I was. I mean, when I saw it, it was, I was a kid. I mean, I, I remember enjoying it.
1: I remember laughing. Yeah, but just like,
0: you think there's too much fat shaming going on in that movie?
1: Yeah, it's it's one thing if, um, like in, the Jerry Lewis Nutty Professor, if you have somebody whose persona is like this wimpy nerdy guy, and he's sort of playing off that for jokes.
0: Yeah, but this is you know that's nerd shaming.
1: But it's himself. What
0: about what about Overbite? That's not himself. He's Overbite shaming. (laughs)
1: I found the overbite endearing. <laughs> were there jokes about the overbite? I mean, there were braces at the end, so I guess maybe. Yeah,
0: because Estella is like, <laughs> you know, okay, I'll be with you, but you gotta do something about that horrific <laughs> overbite. All right.
1: Yeah,
0: so I mean, you know, it's... uh, I don't know, it's... I won't get into it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but um uh yeah i I, you know watching uh this thinking about the 90s version i can see why uh eddie murphy was actually pretty well cast in that role because he can kind of do that uh suave confident version as well as the uh more nerdy uh mild persona i think that's more exemplified in uh in the frank oz film bowfinger yeah in which he plays identical twins um
1: that's a much better film than the nutty professor
0: i agree i agree the eddie murphy
1: version of the nutty professor maybe (laughs) even this one i don't know the bowfinger is a really great movie
0: it is i I, yeah i really enjoyed bowfinger but um yeah and and so this is my first movie a, a proper jerry lewis movie that i had seen i had seen king of comedy which is a martin scorsese movie from the 80s starring robert de Niro. In which jerry lewis is essentially playing himself right is he playing himself he's... or is he no he's playing a talk show host right? yeah
1: it's more like he's playing johnny carson right
0: that's right yeah. but
1: it makes sense that they picked jerry lewis because it does have to be somebody who is like a famous comedian and he's like mr showbiz mm-hmm. like he does represent like oh if you want to be a successful comedian who do you look to, and Jerry Lewis would definitely be one of them, yeah,
0: so he's sort of playing yeah the combination of yeah himself and like a Johnny Carson, which yeah makes sense,
1: and he's really great in that movie, everybody's really great in that movie that's that's an amazing movie too
0: so uh so this being the only proper Jerry Lewis movie that I'd ever seen, I can i mean his talent comes across uh exceedingly well like i can see what makes him the star that he is yeah he exhibits quite the range in this movie
1: and we're just talking about his acting right now he also wrote and directed this film
0: yeah i mean that's yeah really incredible um was he did he direct a lot of the movies that he starred in or all of them or most of them or just a few
1: a good portion Um, so, well, he first, you know, he first came to prominence, uh, as part of a comic duo. It was, of course, him and Dean Martin. They were doing, like, nightclubs and stuff in the late 40s. And then they started making movies in 1949 with my friend Irma. They made, I think it's 16 movies over the course of seven years for Paramount. Damn. Um, and then they just... Had enough. Um, I mean, you know, you're making that many movies with somebody, plus doing all the promotional events, plus still touring and doing some nightclubs and doing God knows how many episodes of the Colgate Comedy Hour. Like, people get sick of each other occasionally, you know? Uh, They both had their reasons for leaving, but Dean Martin was the one who was just like, I need to get out of this. Cause he was, I mean, as the straight man in a comic duo, he he could feel like, oh, everybody loves Jerry, mm-hmm. and you know he was having some success on his own a little bit. He'd already, he'd uh, had a hit single with That's Amore. Um, and people were starting to say like, you know, Dino, you can, you can really be big on your own, and so he left, and then um, Jerry stayed at Paramount. He did his next movie after their split was the delicate delinquent which the script was written for the two of them so it's sort of like a weird like transitional film they ended up putting uh, darren mcgavin in there a young darren mcgavin like a couple decades before he was the star of the night stalker and then later the father in a christmas story and billy madison Mm. um but it's a weird movie to watch because you can tell like okay this character is supposed to be played by dean martin and Darren McGavin's great but it's just, this is weird um, and then you know Jerry Lewis started making well two of the last movies that Martin and Lewis made together were Artists and Models and then um, the, the final one was Hollywood or Bust and those were both directed by Frank Tashlin um, who he had started out doing Warner Brothers cartoons he was a big part of the evolution of Porky Pig um, and he, he's a very great uh, director of comedies. He's probably best remembered now, if not for the Jerry Lewis stuff, then for either The Girl Can't Help It or Will Success Spoil a Rock Hunter, his two movies with Jane Mansfield. Um, but he did a few movies with Jerry Lewis in the late 50s, The Geisha Boy, Rockabye Baby, um, and in 1960, Cinderfella which was basically just the story of Cinderella with the gender swap. But the stepmother was still a stepmother. But other than that, all the genders were swapped. Edwin played the fairy godfather. Uh, It's an amusing movie. And Paramount uh, was all set to release it in the summer of 1960. And Jerry Lewis was like, no, you can't put this out in the summer. Because back then, you know, this is years before, you know, Jaws. The summer was where you dumped movies. Like, oh, this movie's not going to be that big. We'll just just throw it in theaters in the summer because people aren't in school or anything. They're going to go see whatever we show because they need something to do. And he was like, you can't put this out in the summer. This is a Christmas movie. It's going to be, like, not a Christmas movie in the sense, but it's like, this is a family movie. Put it out at Christmas. It'll be a hit. And they're like, well, we need to put out a Jerry Lewis movie because that's what we do. And he was like, all right, well, I'll give you a Jerry Lewis movie. So he was performing at a hotel in Florida. And he made a deal with the hotel that he was performing at uh, where he could just make a movie when he wasn't on stage. And he got together with uh, this guy, Bill Richmond, who was a collaborator on many of his films. They wrote a screenplay, which is basically just a bunch of sketches. There's no real plot to it. And they made The Bellboy. And it's hilarious. And it's it's super low budget. But because of who he was, he was able to convince a lot of people just to, like, show up and do random walk-ons. Like, Milton Berle has a cameo and stuff. And um, they put that out in the summer. And then Cinderfella came out around Christmas. And then he had a taste for directing at that point. He, don't, he already done, like, in the early 50s, he he got together with some friends and did some just, like, movies around the house, kind of. hmm And, I mean, getting together with some friends at that point means, oh, yeah, there's this little, like, home movie starring Jerry Lewis, Dean Martin, Janet Lee, and Tony Curtis, which I really hope is out there somewhere. I've seen clips, and they're kind of funny, but I've never actually... I don't know if the the whole things are available. Um... But yeah, so, you know, then he's he's doing, like, The Errand Boy, which is also, like, a series of sketches, sort of. Um, the Ladies' Man, which I was convinced was my favorite Jerry Lewis movie, or at least the best Jerry Lewis movie, it still might be one of my favorites. I don't, I don't know. But it's, um, again, it's sort of like a series of sketches. It's just Jerry Lewis, well, the, the character he plays, which is Herbert Herbert Hebert, um, gets a job... At this boarding house for women, and he's somebody who hates women. He's terrified of women. Cause he had a bad experience with his college sweetheart, and he's sworn off women forever. but he gets tricked into taking this job at a boarding house for women, and he's like the you know janitor there, basically, and it's just like a whole series of interactions with the girls there. It's a string of jokes, basically, mm-hmm. and the nutty professor is really the first. Movie of his that he directed that is not just a string of jokes, it is a story with
0: a beginning, a, a middle, and an end. Yeah. yeah,
1: um,
0: even though it definitely drifts off into little sketch moments,
1: yes, like the whole experience at the gym and stuff like that, right? Um, and then after this, um, you know, he, he continued working with Frank Tashlin while doing his own um, films. And he did some good ones. I I like The Patsy, um, which I think was Peter Lorre's last film. Um, Which, again, kind of reverts to the whole series of sketches thing. And The Family Jewels, I don't like. And he plays a bunch of different characters in that one. It's this... I'm trying to remember. That's not one that I rewatched for this. Um, It's like this little girl. uh, Her parents die. And so she has to be taken care of by like all these various family members and they're just going around trying to find out which family member would be the best guardian for her and jerry lewis plays all these different relatives and it's it's too this is a problem that he has in a lot of his movies it's too sentimental it's too sappy he's one of those people like a lot of comedians they're like yeah i'm funny but you know i have a heart too and they go too far trying to show that Hmm. um
0: Well, that was something that I was actually impressed with in the 90 professor is that you don't really like the character that he's playing kelp yeah is very sympathetic character yeah and we are rooting for him and uh there is this arc of sort of discovery that he goes on and sort of you know coming to terms with just himself and there is so there is that sort of like sappy sort of you know, what did we learn today, kids? Yeah. But it shows itself in, at the end. And when it happens, it's actually very dramatic and I think very effective.
1: Yeah, this is definitely the best um, the best film in terms of that and keeping that in check.
0: Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't really, really assert itself until the very end when all of a sudden everything kind of comes to a halt. And we just sort of stop for a minute.
1: Yeah, and it's not we're ready for it. It's not yeah. this abrupt thing yeah. where all of a sudden somebody just stands up and starts sermonizing, which does happen in several of his movies. But yeah, after um, like he did all these films with for Paramount Pictures, and he was like king of the law. he could do anything. Uh, and then he left them in the late sixties to work for Columbia. I've only seen one of those movies. Um, was it "Don't Raise the Bridge, Lower the River"? And it's, it's, not, it's not a good movie. Um, in the 70s, he financed his own independent film, which still has not been released. Um, the notorious The Day the Clown Cried, which is, of course, Jerry Lewis's concentration camp movie. Uh, someday, <laughs> that might see the light of day.
0: So was it never released in theaters, or was it... It was never released
1: at all. You, there's certain clips in different like documentaries and stuff. There, are, He has had private showings at his house.
0: So the movie exists.
1: The movie, yes, he made the movie. Uh, Harry Shearer has seen it. And um, he's gone on record as saying this should not be released. Wow,
0: okay. Um, it just goes too far. It's... With the... It's Jerry Lewis
1: in the, in a the concentration camp. It's based on. Yeah, but
0: I mean, there's been plenty of comedies that have sort of, you know, gone after the the Nazis and actually playing with the you know trying to find light in that darkness.
1: Yeah, I mean, life is beautiful. There's like yeah, that was life that, is that beautiful. was a neat movie. Um, well, this was basically. Um, He plays somebody who... I'm not sure of the exact details. He plays a clown whose job it is to lead the children, Pied Piper-like, into the gas chambers.
0: Holy crap. That's pretty dark. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty dark. (laughs) And I guess
1: his character, I think his name is Helmet Dork. Which... (laughs) That's just a very phallic name. I don't know. Um... (laughs) He's not a sympathetic character. I guess over the course of the film, he comes to realize, like, you know, like, oh, I don't want these kids <laughs> to die. Um, I, I don't know. Um, he, he plays, you know, a clown who's not, like, a likable clown. And I don't know. The screenplay is available online for download somewhere. I haven't actually downloaded it, I've, I, but I've seen it out there. I do want it to be released someday just because, you know, like...
0: It has its place in I have in history. to see <laughs> this
1: movie. It's one of those movies where, like, I know it's going to be a horrible movie, but right. just, it bugs me that I can't see it.
0: I feel like, um, boy, if you release it, it has to be, like, with the right context. I, you know, you can't release it as, like, you know, the long-lost Jerry Lewis movie. You know, for the first time, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, they have to be very careful with, like, the cover of the Blu-ray
1: and stuff and just, like, don't make it look all happy. Don't even put the kids on the cover. They'll think it's a kids movie. <laughs> and I think it was intended for children to be watching, also.
0: But, you know, I you know, yeah, I would be very curious about that movie because yeah. it's, like, on the one hand, I think it's... There is some merit to maybe, like, making a movie about the you know that subject matter geared towards kids presented in a way that children could maybe understand and could maybe sort of like teach them about like you know the the dangers of letting things go too far in you know politically and following ideology and to what, those ends. What
1: you're saying makes sense, but I don't know if any of that is really in the movie. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's that's what I'm
0: saying. You know, it's like, I'd be curious to know, like, how, you know, yeah, well, how effective is it in doing I any any of that? Um. And,
1: yeah, I don't I don't know. But so that movie, you know, he made it without bothering to get the rights to the story first. He's, or something, he, there was some confusion. He thought he had the rights.
0: So it's based on something?
1: Yeah. Um... And so he wasn't able to release it. Uh, and then I think he did something where he could release it, but then everybody was like, just don't. Like, <laughs> And he did a few movies after that. Um, and then, you know, he did The King of Comedy in, like, 1983. And then he just sort of kind of faded away, as far as movies were concerned. But most people, like, from that point on, like, people of our generation I think if you were to ask them oh you know Jerry Lewis they'd be like oh he's that guy every was like memorial day or labor day or whatever he does that uh telethon for muscular dystrophy like that was his thing people knew him for for decades cuz he wasn't really doing much else um in the public eye I kind of want to talk about Dean Martin a little bit cuz he's not in this movie or is he
0: oh really he may have a hidden cameo of some kind
1: no he may be buddy love uh people often people often speculated like oh well you know kelp that's the jerry lewis persona he's a little nerdy guy and then the cool suave guy who's really just a complete dick that's dino and jerry lewis always said that that was just a different part of him kelp was what he was playing on screen and then off-camera, he was Buddy Love. He was a dick. And he just always felt bad about it. <laughs> and he was like, this is me. And I just... I don't want that to be me. And maybe this movie will, like, exercise that demon.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, apparently, his uh, one of his sons said that, like, when they were shooting The Nutty Professor, on the days where he had to be Buddy Love, uh, you didn't want to be around him when he got home because he brought Buddy Love home with him.
0: That sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because he definitely... Yeah, Buddy Love is not a flattering portrayal. Despite... And now that you're saying like that he felt like it was, it, that it was a part of him, that, that that was him, kind of makes Buddy Love make more sense to me Mm. where because like i'm watching this and i'm like how the hell like what how the hell could stella like be interested in him at all because like what part of him is charming in any way like yeah okay he can sing a song but like (laughs) what and other than that it's like there's almost no redeeming qualities whatsoever and stella is almost sort of baffled by that herself of like yeah there's something there and uh It's almost as if Jerry Lewis himself is kind of like... If he's acknowledging the fact that, like, boy, he acts awful around... Like, towards people. He's sort of wondering himself, like, how can anybody like that guy? But people do.
1: Even if his actual, like, on-the-surface intentions were to sort of expose a part of himself general audiences watching this who are familiar with Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, it's like, oh, okay, so he's just making fun of his old partner. This is, like, bitterness towards Dean. Um, he does have that sort of, like, rat pack attitude.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: And, like, after Martin and Lewis split up, Dean Martin had a couple of years where he sort of struggled because people were like, well, he's nothing without Jerry Lewis. He was just uh, setting up the jokes. And, you know, eventually... You know, he, he did fall into that group, and he was hanging out with the who? Who were they? The Rat Pack, is it Sinatra? Yeah, Frank Sinatra, Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr., Jr., Peter Lawford, Joey Bishop, Dean Martin. Those were like the main guys. Um, Humphrey Bogart started it, but it wasn't it wasn't until after Bogey died that it, the term the Rat Pack entered public consciousness as like oh th- those are those guys who hang out together and occasionally make movies together. Um, but then in, in the late 50s, he did, he was in the Vincent Minnelli film, Some Came Running, which I love. And for Howard Hawks, he did one of the greatest films ever made, Rio Bravo. And after that, people were like, oh, okay, Dean Martin, he, he knows what he's doing. And then he did the movies with the Rat bag, you know, Ocean's Eleven, Four for Texas, all that. He did the Matt Helm films. I think there were four of them throughout the 60s. It was sort of like the American James Bond uh, and most, his persona was basically just, like, this drunk guy who was very charming. <laughs> and he had, like, these various variety shows and stuff in the 60s and 70s. Just, And he would... He, he was famous for not really liking to rehearse. He would just show up. It, on camera, he would often just be holding a glass of something and just saying random crap. <laughs> and people were like, oh, Dino. <laughs> and just a year after... Jerry Lewis made The Nutty Professor, he was in a film directed by Billy Wilder called Kiss Me Stupid, in which Dean Martin plays a character named Dino, who is this really super obnoxious nightclub singer. Who is, he's like world famous, then he's, he gets stranded in this town in the middle of nowhere. And he's a horrible guy in that movie. That's a fascinating movie. It's not necessarily, like, a very good movie, but it's fascinating. It would have been better if Peter Sellers had starred in it as had been planned, but he had a heart attack around that time and was replaced by Ray Walston. But yeah, so that's sort of, like, his take on the Dino persona, and a lot of people saw The Night Professor as Jerry Lewis's take on the Dino persona.
0: Was, uh... Jerry Lewis's singing... In this movie, was that his actual singing voice? Yeah. So was he? Did he do a lot of musical roles before this? Was he sort of famous for? Yeah, he sang a lot. Musical performance.
1: He sang a lot in the Martin Lewis films, um, not as much as Dean. Um, and then he had a hit record with the song um, "Rockabye My Baby" from his film "Rockabye Baby." Which pissed his father off, actually, because his his father, I think his name was Danny Lewis. He was like an old school, like vaudeville entertainer who struggled for years. And then all of a sudden his son shows up and he's just like making millions of dollars. He's got this hit record with a song that his father used to sing.
0: Oh, no kidding. And um, so it didn't make his father proud.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe on the inside, but he never said <laughs> But that. he expressed
0: that pride, but with uh, with anger and yeah. jealousy.
1: I think there was, like, a E True Hollywood story about Jerry Lewis. One that Jerry Lewis was actually, like, involved in. So it wasn't necessarily, like, an expose type thing. Um, and he's, he speaks about his father a bit. And he says, at one point, like, when he first made it big, he bought his father a Cadillac, and he was so proud of it. And his father looked at it, and his response was like, Oh, I kind of wanted a convertible.
2: Hmm.
1: Or something like You just And you see that with like there's a, a lot of comedians who um Jerry Lewis is a very in your face comedian. He really wants everybody's attention at all times. And if you grow up with parents who are not necessarily giving you any attention, that that So could lead to
0: that. Does um Kelp's parents in this movie, does that reflect anything from his real life? I mean, he in, you know, in in Nutty Professor <laughs> kelp's parents his father specifically is portrayed as somebody who's this like simpering uh meek mild uh nobody yeah of a dad and he actually says uh he he, jerry lewis playing the baby says something along the lines of uh poor old dad or something like that um but then of course at the end the dad is essentially has stolen his son's formula and has used it to uh make himself he's now like the buddy love asshole
2: yeah
1: I don't really um I mean it reflects his actual childhood in the sense that he's off in the corner and they're not really talking to him or Mm -hmm. looking at him at all and they're just having their own thing in the foreground because I mean his father was like a singer and everything and his mother was a musician they were both always on tour and he would be living with relatives growing up Gotcha. What do you think of that ending? That little epilogue. (laughs) Um, After you know, that's that's not all, folks. Whatever it says.
0: Yeah, it's kind of I don't know. It is kind of a weird way to end the movie, where it's like. So and it's funny because like okay, so now his dad has the formula. He's he's selling it as sort of like a snake oil salesman salesman, but I mean the formula works. It changes your personality and not for the better. Yeah. And now it's like okay, the father is using it. And the professor is using it. The and they're, dean, they're, yeah, the dean, yeah, the dean of the school,
1: the college that has a senior prom. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, um, they're, So they're both using it, and and they're selling it to now all, presumably like all the guys in school. And I like when uh, when when Kelp and Stella go out in the hall, and, and and Kelp is like, you know, well, what are we gonna do now? And she's like, well, what's done is done. And it's sort of like, what world? You know, if we were to just see the history of that of that earth... Yeah. Like, what, where would they look like now, today, where this formula exists that can just, like, transform you into, essentially, the worst parts of you? I wouldn't want to live in that world.
1: <laughs> yeah, and she has bottles she, of it. She, she has bottles
0: office. of it, yeah. As if she's going to be like, well, you know, sure, Buddy Love is... he's a dick, but... You know, maybe sometimes it'd be kind of nice to uh, have buddy love around.
1: Yeah, the whole thing with the parents... um, I'm I'm not familiar with the actress playing the mother. The the father is played by Howard Morris, who I mostly know as Ernest T. Bass on a few episodes of The Andy Griffith Show.
0: Okay, Um, I was going to ask about him because, man, does his voice sound super familiar. His
1: voice, yeah. If you look at IMDb, he's got, like, hundreds of credits, and most of it is, like like any animated show in the 60s or 70s he was doing something on it
0: okay because he yeah he starts talking and i'm like holy crap i know this voice what uh, character <laughs> is this how do i know this guy
1: um yeah i think what the stuff with the parents shows more is is Jerry Lewis's conflicted feelings about women cuz it's like you know, he's feeling bad for his his, his poor father who's being browbeaten by, um, you know, his his harsh wife. Overbearing, like, aggressive wife. Yeah, yeah and um, and then at the end, he's treating his wife like shit. Yeah. They're, they're mush, mush, hush! <laughs> yeah. And, um... I don't know. One of the good things about Jerry Lewis being dead now... I'll just say that. Um... So, you know there's this is coming up in the news a lot lately Um, There's like the art on one side and the artist on another side and a lot of people who uh, make movies and whatnot they'll often kind of put their foot in their mouth about you know their beliefs and stuff and um, Sometimes you just have to try to ignore it to enjoy their work, but also sometimes it's illuminating to look at their work in hindsight he notoriously said in a few occasions in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, that he thought women had no place in comedy. And it was hard for him to look at a woman trying to be funny because he thought comedy was sort of debasing towards women when they're supposed to be sort of, like... I think he basically referred to them as baby-making machines. <laughs> <laughs> um, but other people have come forward, like Carol Burnett, has said that like, back in like the sixties, he had like personally like face to face, praised her work and complimented her, and uh, also Lucille Ball. Mm. And in this movie, and in a lot of his movies, you've got the great Kathleen Freeman. In this one, she plays the secretary, Miss Lemon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where do I
0: recognize her from? You
1: by might the way. know her from, she was Microwave Marge in Gremlins Two. Okay, the, the cooking show. Okay, there. no. And also, earlier you mentioned Singing in the Rain, she's the voice coach who says... Bingo. I can't stand him. I
0: can't stand
1: him. Exactly, yes.
0: (laughs) Bingo. That's where I know her from.
1: She was also supposed to be Alice on the Brady Bunch, but I don't remember the reasons why. It ended up being Ambie Davis instead. So she's not as famous as she could have been in a different world, but she's always great. And he worked with her so often and so well that it's weird that decades later he'd be like, yeah, no, women... They don't have a place in comedy. I feel like he just is one of those guys who, as he got older, he got grouchier. Uh, he was vocal about his support for Donald Trump. Hmm. His reason was because he said something like, he, he would make a great president because he's a great showman. <laughs> Fair enough, but, you know, people have to live in that country. That's, that was also what he said when he was su- supporting Ronald Reagan in the 80s.
0: Ah, um, well, because they gave, they both came from show business. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah, interesting.
1: They were great show. Well, I don't a great in size, if not quality, I guess. Um, but yeah, in the Nutty Professor, there is there are some issues with women, mostly in the presentation of his mother. He's clearly critical of the harsh treatment Stella receives from Buddy Love. He's
0: not on Buddy Love's side with that. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I mean, and and Stella is portrayed as somebody who is able to stick up for herself, and she's, you know, she's willing... She wants to give Buddy Love a chance. And she, you know, because she... Even though turning him down, like, she still does agree to, like, okay, go on another date with him. Yeah. And even when he's acting like a friggin' pompous ass and demanding that she... (laughs) Kiss him on, you know, kiss him and all this stuff. She's like, "Well, you win," and you know, but like, she still just, you know, knows what she wants and is able to uh, assert herself.
1: And she is the one who, at the end, makes the decision to steal some bottles of Kelp's formula because sometimes she's in a buddy love mood. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you know, they get home and she's like, "You know what? Tonight, let's bring out the buddy." Do some role playing, uh, and you know if we use the right dosage, then we know that we don't have to deal with them in the morning.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Because <laughs> I that, but I mean he used chemicals to bring it out, but that was in there somewhere. I'm sure. Like everybody has something in them that could come out, and we have to make peace with it. Like uh, like in Ernest, scared stupid, with the uh, the troll. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah buddy love is uh is jerry lewis's troll yeah (laughs) yeah it is funny because we we just did do that uh, Ernest scared stupid episode and there are some interesting you know i mean Ernest is you could say is probably very much inspired by jerry lewis and yeah this movie specifically i would guess
1: and we spoke briefly in that episode very briefly because it was very extemporaneous and uh um but like you would ask me like oh what other you know characters are there that are sort of like earnest and i think i came up with Paul Shore <laughs> cuz i just wasn't expecting it i wasn't really prepared for it um, but yeah i definitely would have said like well in that context you know PB Herman right. should have come to mind right but also i mean it's part of like this long tradition of these performers who would have this persona even when playing different characters with different names and stuff i mean charlie chaplin was always some form of charlie chaplin the tramp yeah and like Buster Keaton, the great Stone Face, Harold Lloyd, was usually just referred to as like the boy. He was just this average guy. Um, Groucho was Groucho, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, whether he's Captain Spaulding or right. Flywheel or whatever. Um, w. C. Fields, Three yeah. Stooges, Abbott yeah, Costello, yeah. and you end up with Jerry Lewis. And um, around the time that this movie came out, well the year after, and also the year after that, people started referring to the Beatles in that way, actually. It's interesting, I was um, rereading the section of Andrew Saris's The American Cinema that he wrote in 1968, where you know, that whole book basically sets up sort of like a hierarchy of auteurs, and um, he starts off with the pantheon, and there's like the far side of heaven, and then various categories and he he has this one chapter that's just about um, the clowns because like Jerry Lewis is a filmmaker, like a director and everything um, but I mean you know the Marx Brothers a Marx Brothers movie is a Marx Brothers movie no matter who the hell was directing it right also like W.C. Right. Fields Mae West and stuff and throughout that chapter when talking about different comedians it was weird Andrew Harris kept saying like you know it's like the Beatles do it now because this is... I mean, they just done Hard Day's Night in Hell. Right, and yeah. It's they, like, oh, they're new comic yeah, duo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which brings up an interesting thing about the, the music in this movie. This is 1963. But now it's, it's written and directed by somebody who came up through the show business of the 40s and the 50s into the 60s. And it's you've got, like, this college senior prom because that's a thing that I guess colleges might have had back then. I don't know. It was a different time. And they've got Les Brown and his orchestra.
0: Right, which feels so like, you know, Busby Berkeley kind of... Yeah,
1: and even the songs that Buddy Love is singing at uh, the Purple Pit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's doing like that old black their, magic. They're old
0: standards and, kind yeah. Of stuff, yeah.
1: And uh, they're good. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't know if, um, you know, this is less than a year before the British invasion really starts. Yeah. The Beach Boys are already around. This is sort of like post-first wave rock and roll. Yeah,
0: because Elvis had been around for a while.
1: Yeah, Elvis was at Paramount making movies. Um, it's I don't know. It's just odd. He's a little, he was a little out of touch at this
0: point. Yeah, I mean, you look at that senior prom, and you could if you had told me like, oh, this is set in the '40s. Yeah, like I would have believed you because that's what it feels like.
1: <laughs> is it when we first start seeing some of those college students, like in the opening credits? It's also hard to be like, oh, yeah, these people are supposed to be, like, in their early 20s.
0: Oh, my God, yeah. They, look, <laughs> they absolutely look like they're, like, 35 years old or something. Yeah,
1: that happens in a lot of uh, older movies. I mean, still to this day, but it was so much worse back then.
0: <laughs> I mean, a lot of those kids have, like, wrinkles on their face.
1: Yeah. Um, Henry Gibson plays a character named Gibson. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because, like, you see his name in the credits, in the opening credits, and you're like, oh, yeah, Henry Gibson's in this movie. I had forgotten he was in it. And you kind of see him in the background of a few shots. I think he has, like, one or two lines where he, he goes up at the professor and says something, and the professor's like, yes, Gibson. And he's like, oh, he's playing a guy named Gibson.
0: Well, it's yeah. weird because uh, the actress who played Stella... Stella Stevens.
1: Is Stella Stevens. Yeah. And her theme song in the movie is Stella by Starlight. From the nineteen forty four Paramount film, *The Uninvited*.
0: Yeah, so it's it's a it is kind of strange that. Hmm.
1: Uh... But it's also just a waste of Henry Gibson. I mean, nobody really knew who he was at the time. This is a few years before *Laughing*, a long time before uh, *Nashville*. And um, I'm a big fan of him in *The Burbs*, but I don't know
0: who was he in *The Burbs*.
1: He was the. Um... The main Klopek guy. Um, he was Dr. Klopek?
0: The, okay, like the main villain guy. Yeah, villain. Well, I mean, I say that as like the main antagonist.
1: The American suburban mindset was the villain in that movie. <coughs> anyway.
0: You know what I'm trying to say.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, that, that, was, that was him.
0: Um... Yeah, I mean, well, this whole thing with these college kids, it's part of, you You were kind of talking about um, the current sort of Hollywood climate, and, I mean, right now we are smack dab in the middle of this uh, just a huge wave of, of, of uh, people being outed as alleged uh, sexual predators and harassers and
1: yeah i'm never watching another tom hanks movie that's for sure
0: (laughs) don't you jinx it tim
1: after what he did to poor little drew barrymore
0: oh my god that's all bullshit (laughs) fake news tim fake news um but it it, so i don't know it was kind of hard not to watch this movie without that in the back of my mind because this is about like you know essentially a college professor sort of like fawning over and (laughs) and doing everything he can to uh to get with one of his students
1: it's weird to think that there might have been a time where that was just a normal thing like where college professors would see some like it's like every year they get the new students and they're just like hmm which one might i marry someday
0: right yeah and it is almost like a, a strange fantasy in that way because it's not like because there reaches a point very late in the movie where he is actively fantasizing about her.
1: Yeah, and you have those different outfits. Yeah. Where she's just posing by the door.
0: Which is very nice, by the way. Yes. But <laughs> <laughs> for early, you know, it's it's uh, it's it, the whole thing is almost like a, I don't know, a very male fantasy where it's like the girl is like just so obviously interested in him from the beginning. Yeah and she's the one who like in the end is like oh but a, a lowly college professor that's someone i could imagine spending my life with <laughs> and it's like what <laughs> and uh and then they just go right back to class and she's sitting in the in in the front row like you know <laughs> with her googly eyes at him and they go out in the hall and it's like honey like you know, <laughs> it's just so like ridiculous Yeah,
1: you expect her to uh, like. Link each eyelid and have uh, yeah. like, love you or exactly. No, no. yep.
0: straight from Indiana Jones. Um, and she, you know she's the one who's asking him to dance and everything. And uh, he kind of—I mean—he knows that he shouldn't be doing it because he's like, oh, you know, she's inviting him out to the the Purple Pit, and he's like, oh, well, you know, professors aren't aren't allowed at the Purple Pit. She's like seducing him the whole time.
1: I like that professors aren't allowed there, but the secretary randomly shows up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, I, I actually, I mean, the Purple Pit is the one area that does feel like it's from the 60s.
1: Yeah.
0: And I, 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 I like the, the aesthetic of the Purple Pit.
1: That very, like, early 60s kind of, like, cool jazz with the random, like, I want to go hang out in a bar with a flautist who just works there.
0: A flautist? Fluter? Oh, a flu Oh, okay. Is that what it is? Somebody who plays the flute? A flautist?
1: yeah what do you what do you call them Flutist, a flute player okay i
0: don't even know i didn't i've never heard flautist it makes sense i like the purple pit i like i like the the shape of the room and i like the aesthetic and everything i was like i wish there was a cool bar that we could go to that was like as cool as the purple pit where you just have like your you know your house piano
2: yeah
0: and And a a flautist
1: and sexy
0: lights yeah it's like hey we get some sexy lights going on in here (laughs) Yeah,
1: the, the definition of flautist on dictionary.com is flutist.
0: But it is a word. It's flautist from okay, the Italian okay. flautista. Um, Sorry. <laughs> by the way, the drink that he orders, what was it? The Alaskan Eskimo?
1: Is it Alaskan polar, polar bear, bear Alas- heater?
0: Al- Al- Alaskan polar bear, that's right. Um,
1: polar uh, bear heater, I think.
0: Obviously... The drink, as he's ordering it, is totally made up. He's just like you know, uh, you know, shot of rum, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and it just go. The list goes on and on and on. But what I was thinking is like, has anybody actually like made that drink, the Leskin polar bear heater? Is that something that like you could go and order today as like? Oh, I thought s- you
1: meant like somebody just watching the movie was like, I gotta try that.
0: Well, I'm sure that's happened, but I wonder if it's if it's actually any good, if it has it caught on at all, you know, as like something that you can get
1: where if any bar that you would go to would have it which one would it be like what bar around here is the place to go to like for for, for fancy drinks
0: oh god i don't I know so i feel
1: like a lot of the bars lately are like the bartender would be like what like
0: yeah for sure i mean it's probably probably is not anything that anyone would would recognize if you were to bring it up but
1: but if you brought the ingredients to, not the ingredients but like the, the recipe yeah you well, have too, you slide the sheet over
0: yeah. it's probably a very expensive drink because it mixes like every kind of liquor you can imagine
1: What there is a lot of stuff on the internet about this there's a website uh, the celluloid pantry which ah, I, I guess... so it's
0: all like foods <laughs> and drinks based on things from movies? apparently
1: yeah I'm not familiar with this, uh, this group um, their notes on it are uh, Let's see, there's five brief reviews of the drink. They did actually try it. One says, not disgusting.
0: Okay, because I was imagining it to be not very good.
1: (laughs) Um, You have to eat a cherry with every hit. This is totally drinkable, kind of like a weird Manhattan. Um, It reminds me of hypo. You know the photochemical. When you get it on your hands. (laughs) I don't...
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, So people have tried it, yeah doesn't seem to have really like caught on in the general public. Right.
0: Um So just just going back a little bit. It, is it in today's rules? I'm sure that it's like it's it's probably not against the law or anything like that, but it's probably against like university policies oh, yeah. for a professor to start a relationship yes. with a student.
1: Um Yeah, I know that Actually, I'm not sure about with colleges. I know that in with high schools, even people of age, you know, like people are over 18 and everything, there's like a certain amount of years after graduation that a relationship would have to wait before starting or the teacher would be reprimanded by the school.
0: Hmm. Um, I would think that in colleges it would be a little bit more... Uh, the rules would be a little more lax. Because yeah, it is like everyone is totally grown adults
1: yeah and a lot of them have beds right there on campus
0: yeah the professor
1: professor doesn't want to drive home yeah
0: exactly he just finds Um, somebody to shack up with um i mean obviously it's to prevent uh
1: favoritism favoritism and 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 things
0: like that and also uh holding power over somebody to be like well You know, I could do something about that F if you do something about this D. (laughs) Yes,
1: (laughs) Max wins the podcast.
0: Um. Yeah, so I mean, it totally makes sense. But uh, so in that in that regard, I mean, watching this movie is kind of strange because it is this kind of just like demented fantasy.
1: Yeah. And it's something even though the further away from it in time we get the more stuff like that kinda like sticks out. It also is like the more we can be like, well, it was different back then. It was a little more normal.
0: Well, and it's also like I mean, the movie is essentially like it's not meant to be real life.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very... an abstraction. It's, it's like a visually cartoon. Yeah, and that comes from his his um, work with Frank Tashlin. Like, this movie, it looks like a Frank Tashlin movie. Like, all of his movies have those bold color schemes and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, he came from, you know, he started out doing comic strips and then Warner Brothers cartoons, and a lot of his live-action movies look like, like, oh, this could be, like, a Warner Brothers cartoon if everybody was just drawn. Um,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, like... And also, I'm um, the the scene the transformation scene in this. It reminds me a lot of like some Warner Brothers cartoons, um, uh, where like some Jekyll and Hyde cartoons mm-hmm. that that in the Looney Tunes.
1: And like, I mean, he definitely learned a lot from working with Frank Tashlin, and I'm I'm not sure if uh, if Tashlin like showed him like all of his old stuff like sort of like schooled him in a way um but yeah he definitely absorbed a lot of that that type of film
0: that transformation scene by the way i think is uh is very effective for what was clearly like a very low budget kind of effect because you don't actually see any like you know transformation happening it's all just between cuts yeah but what's effective about it is like between every cut there's like always some different change happening, and sometimes it's as drastic as like, you know, all of a sudden his face is just painted red, and then we cut, and all of a sudden his face is just completely white, and it's you know not not drawing too much attention to it. It's just sort of like almost like a. It just happens to be that, but it's uh you know his hair gets longer, his teeth are always changing configuration. Yeah. Um, this isn't a low budget movie.
1: I, mean, I get what you're saying about the effect, but like the effect, like, it wasn't yeah, like you know elaborate. Yeah, oh, well, it, I mean, it was elaborate, I guess, but not.
0: But you, they weren't even attempting like, uh, you know, like Wolfman style,
1: the, like the lap dissolve. Yeah, exactly. Like, like yeah.
0: yeah, it was just more like, oh, how can we do this, you know, without? And it wasn't even without any. It it didn't involve a lot of heavy prosthetics. It didn't involve like much of, uh, you know. Well, nothing fancy. But it was really effective. And I think just as effective and, and impressive to me was the transformation from Buddy Love to Professor Kelp at the end of the movie. Where, I mean, literally the only thing that that differentiates them is the teeth and the hair. Yeah. And then he puts the glasses on. But it's all in Jerry Lewis's uh, acting And portrayal of the two different versions of it and the slow sort of progression from buddy love this confident dude slowly devolving into professor kelp and uh it's very well done i mean it's all just in the way that he you know the posture of him and you know just the way that he carries himself and uh you know i mean even knowing that it's the same person when, you know, when we see, like, Buddy Love for the first time, it is like, you know, you. they do seem like completely different people.
1: I think even people who consider themselves big fans of Jerry Lewis underrate him as an actor. Because they're like, oh, well, he's got that persona, and he kind of sticks to it.
0: Yeah, but, it, I mean, this is like, he's doing all sorts of stuff. I mean, the physicality involved of, like, really... Uh portraying an entirely different persona with very little physical uh effect it's 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 very well done it's impressive
1: and that might have been the main thing that he took from the spencer tracy version of jekyll and hyde if you had been a member of the uh, academy of motion picture arts and sciences back in the early 60s do you think you would have nominated him for uh best actor oscar
0: well i'd have to see what what was up you know what what were the bigger competition in 1963
1: well i mean the five nominees that year were uh paul newman uh, for hud rex harrison for cleopatra richard harris for this sporting life albert finney for tom jones and the winner was Sidney poitier for lilies of the field
0: I'm ashamed to say that I've seen none of those films.
1: I have only seen *Lilies of the Field*. Um. But I think it's safe to say, like, based, I've I've seen all of those actors and other things, and they mm-hmm. are all definitely still revered to this day. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be weird to just have Jerry Lewis's name sitting amongst them. But I mean, that would also, I mean, I don't know. It's a very impressive performance.
0: It is. I mean, and especially like. You know, I brought up Eddie Murphy's portrayal of Professor Clump, not Kelp, <laughs> um, because yeah, you got to get another fat joke in there. But I mean, he had the benefit of heavy prosthetics and you and know, CGI and, and yeah, that's right. He had the whole CGI transformation. Um, but I mean, in differentiating, you know, leaning into his Clump persona as mm. opposed to his—I don't even know what—is he called Buddy Love? I think so. Yeah, I'm—I I'm feel like that—that that he is. Um, you know he has that fat suit to kind of rely on to really transform the way that he looks um whereas jerry lewis does just as an effective job maybe even more effective with like just that overbite yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) and that's it but like the way that he just like he shrinks himself as kelp it's
1: like philip seymour hoffman as truman capote In the sense that it's like a... There's not really that much of a physical change.
0: Right. But you're
1: looking at him and you're like...
0: It's a different person, yeah. Yeah,
1: you don't... You just see Truman Capote there. I wouldn't, like, put that on an advertisement for The Nutty Professor. (laughs) (laughs) If you liked Philip Seymour Hoffman as Truman Capote, you're going to love Jerry Jerry
0: Lewis. Lewis as The Nutty Professor. (laughs) Uh, Um, So, uh... Del Moore... He played the dean of the school. Yeah, he's in a
1: lot of Jerry Lewis movies. Often as himself.
0: As Delmore?
1: Yeah, like, he'll just be, um... I don't know who Delmore is. Okay,
0: because I I swear I've seen him in something, too. Yeah. Like, this movie was filled with people, who I'm like... (laughs) Wait, I know. Well, and, like, during the gym scene... Yes. In walks Jaws from, uh...
1: The movie Jaws. There's just a shark in the gym. (laughs) And it's like, we're not supposed to notice... No, sorry.
0: No, Jaws from uh, James Bond, from Moonraker and uh, Spy Who Loved Me. And I don't even remember the actor's name, but... Richard Keel? Yes, that, that, that's him.
1: He was in a couple of a couple of other things that I've seen in very small roles, but I can't think of them right now. Oh, Skidoo. I just saw Skidoo the other day.
0: Oh, did you? We talked about Skidoo yeah. way back. I mean, time. I've seen
1: it several times before, but I just... It was my birthday, and I was like, I want to watch Skidoo. I don't know. It's so weird.
0: He was in Happy Gilmore,
1: I still haven't seen it. Uh, should I? People are always offended when I say I've never seen it, but
0: I I love Happy Gilmore. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but growing up, I uh, yeah I, I was a fan. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, there are a lot of uh, a lot of faces I recognized in this movie. I'm just looking up Delmore real quick. Okay, he was on Batman TV series which I was kind of thinking maybe he was, but he was only in two episodes as the TV newsman. So I don't don't think that's where I recognize him. And there's
1: a lot of Jerry Lewis movies where it'll cut to like a newscast and it'll be like, I'm Delmore and I'm reporting live from wherever. So he must have just been a TV news guy that people kind of knew. And now all these decades later, there's just like, (laughs) he just appears in these movies and we're like, okay, I guess he's a guy. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I am seeing he's in a lot of Jerry Lewis movies.
1: Playing the uncredited role of boy in The Nutty Professor is Gary Lewis, one of Jerry Lewis's sons. And um, he's probably most well-known for the, uh, the band Gary Lewis and the Playboys, who did the song This Diamond Ring.
0: Not familiar.
1: I think it goes something like... Uh, This diamond ring doesn't something for you anymore. (laughs) Shine? Does it shine? I don't know. Anyway. um, Yeah. In the movie The Family Jewels, the song there's this weird scene where Jerry Lewis sits down and puts on his radio and the song This Diamond Ring by his son Gary Lewis comes on and he's just sitting there in a chair awkwardly listening to this song play. (laughs) And, uh, And then it fades out. And then it begins the whole, like, string of um, sketches, basically, in that movie of Jerry Lewis as all these different family members. And they're all wearing a diamond ring, every single character. And that's one of the issues with a lot of Jerry Lewis movies, is, like, it kind of makes sense in that movie. Like, oh, okay, so he's tying it into, like, this movie about family, and, like, his son had written this song about a diamond ring, and it's sort of linking all of them, like, Maybe there's different parts of this one person. But Jerry Lewis was adamant about uh, his jewelry. No matter what character he was playing, he just had these rings that he always liked to wear.
0: I mean, I noticed the rings on Buddy Love, and then later I noticed that even Professor Kelp was wearing a ring. And
1: it's especially awkward when you look and you're like, wait, that's his ring finger of his left hand. I feel like that character shouldn't be wearing a ring right there. Yeah. He was just very adamant, like, no, no these are my rings. I'm leaving them on. And in some of the movies, it's very distracting, because <laughs> it's, like...
0: Because the ring on Professor Kelp is definitely out of character. Yeah, and On Buddy Love, it makes total sense.
1: They're, like... He, he was a fan of, like, gaudy pinky rings and stuff, and it's, like... I just... With the wedding band, like, maybe, like, okay, you know, he's very committed to being, like, no, if I'm married, I have to wear a wedding band. Then make your character somebody who wears gloves or something. <laughs> like, then you don't have to take it off, but... I don't know. It kind of takes you out of it a few times. Also in a small role as um, the clothing salesman is Gavin Gordon who I pretty much know from two movies. One is the 1959 version of The Bat with Vincent Price but mostly as the guy who plays Lord Byron in the opening scene of the Bride of Frankenstein. Oh. The, the the very fruity fellow yeah.
2: like,
0: who
1: rolls them right. over on his tongue. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, oh do tell us a
1: story, Mary. <laughs> and also I, I have no idea who this is, but as board man is Seymour Cassell.
0: I assume he was in one of those board meetings?
1: B. O. R. E. D. Oh. A man okay. who is bored.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> suffering from boredom. Uh yeah, Seymour Cassell, who at the t- I have no idea how old Seymour Cassell is. Um, I think he was always old. Yeah, he would have been okay, he would have been twenty eight at the time. I would not recognize a twenty eight year old Seymour Cassell. Uh, I'm mostly know him from like more recent like Wes Anderson movies and stuff. Uh, but yeah, he's in there. There's a bunch of people in this movie is the point of this part of the conversation, I guess,
0: <laughs>
1: including Les Brown and his band of renown as themselves, including
0: Stumpy Brown, Stumpy Brown, his brother, <laughs> Stumpy Brown. Like, who we have yeah, for some reason spend time uh, getting introduced as Stumpy Brown <laughs> in this movie. Um, there's one weird little moment in this movie that I wanted to ask about. Was it something I missed, or a joke that's just going over my head? Maybe it was something the joke at the time? I don't really know, but uh so Professor kelp has this bird,
1: oh, yeah, we haven't talked about the bird at all,
0: and uh throughout the movie has these sort of like ridiculous overdubbed uh you know parroting dialogue that it that it does,
1: which is very similar to that same year the roger Gorman film the raven where peter laurie is the voice of a raven in the early scenes
0: but there's this one moment and it's during the transformation it's after he drinks the uh the concoction for the first time he looks over at the bird and it's no longer a bird it's a little man yeah who is that guy
1: uh, can we check that out the scene yeah and just like pause it and look really closely at him because i don't know
0: Okay, we're going to watch it real quick, and then we'll get back to you. So, we just uh, we just watched re-watched that scene um, where the bird suddenly just appears as a man. and um,
1: We're looking at him right now, and we, we don't I, know who that is. I have no
0: idea who this guy is. I thought that, like, when we're it, watching it through it for the first time, I thought that maybe it was the Dean. Because the bird says, I told you, Julius, I told you, Julius, and then he looks over and it's a guy perched on the on in the bird cage and i thought okay well did the dean say i told you julius before i don't think so but because it, it's clearly not him i don't think this is an actor that is that we've seen in this movie before
1: so who would he be
0: is he the the actual actor who's voicing the bird I thought that maybe this guy was, like, just, like, another famous guy. And it was sort of just, like, a joke that you would get at the time because you know who this guy is. You know, that, like, general audiences in 1963 would be like, oh, ha it's, it's so-and-so.
1: It's that guy who does the voice for all those
0: birds in those movies. <laughs> yeah. So I, and that is, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I'm stumped.
1: Maybe that was a thing. I don't know. There are a couple movies in the 60s where Mel Blanc shows up on screen.
0: Right, and unless you've seen like an interview with him, yeah. you wouldn't know who what he looks like.
1: Um I think he's actually in Kiss Me Stupid, that movie where Dino plays himself. But anyway. Yeah, I'm if anybody knows, please for the love of god contact us cuz this is going to bug us forever.
0: I mean, I'm sure that uh, Google knows. If I if I search nutty professor what Birdman? <laughs> Nutty Professor Birdman? That get me a...
1: Bird actor? Uh
0: Anyway, yeah, it's going to take too long for me to (laughs) Google this answer, so we'll move on for now.
1: I just just did a Google image search. I just type in Nutty Professor Bird, and it's not showing that guy. God damn it, I want to (laughs) know. Very strange. What do you think of the character of the bird, anyway? Um...
0: I don't know. It didn't really... It wasn't anything that I thought was particularly funny or clever, I guess. She's very mean. Jennifer is the bird's name. Yeah. That's right. So I guess it's doubly strange that it would be a man sitting there. Because it's clearly a female bird. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it didn't really... Uh, I didn't care for it one way or the other, I guess. Like, it makes sense to have something that, uh. that Kelp can talk to, you know? And, uh, when he's working by himself.
1: Yeah, give us a little bit of, um.
0: so he can project whatever's, you know, his internalization.
1: Yeah, and, um. not. I keep saying expedition in my head. I don't know why I keep saying it. exposition. There we go. Expedition. <laughs> if you do do a Google image search for the Night Professor bird, um, you you do find a lot of interesting, like, cheesecake shots of Stella Stevens, which is kind of distracting now, so I'm going to close that. But, uh nice.
0: Yeah, who's that bird in that movie? Yeah. <laughs> Stella Stevens. Yeah, she's quite the bird. <laughs> um one thing when we when we booted up this dvd i was reminded so there's this running gag in the movie with uh with his watch he's got this pocket watch he opens it up
1: yeah and then you got the and it's uh, marching band the halls of montezuma to yeah. the shores of tripoli e or whatever
0: um and i thought for sure at watching this movie for, through for the first time i was like oh that's going to be the thing that gives him away because uh buddy love will somebody will ask him for the time or something and he'll open it up and it'll be kelp's watch yeah
1: because they set it up and it does it a couple of times so you think it's going to be like like chekhov's gun but really it's like cutthroat island's gun
0: right where it's introduced and there's no payoff for it yeah
1: which hopefully that term will catch on in screenwriting circles (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: cutthroat island's gun (laughs) um
1: i just i keep looking at this guy as a bird i should, should you take this off the screen because it's, gonna... it's
0: too distracting
1: I need to know who he is why does he exist in this okay, form okay. we're
0: taking it off the screen <laughs>
1: uh, now we just have the abyss
0: you know and I think like uh, if they had gone with the with the watch gag as the thing that gives him away I, I don't know I don't know if it would be more effective.
1: I feel like the initial response would be like, oh my God, Buddy Love killed Professor (laughs) Kelp.
0: Like, why do you have... uh, Yeah, I I don't think it would have been... I don't know, it seems like something that may have been a part of the original plan, but just got cut out along the way. And I think it's probably for the better. I I mean... Because the way that it plays out, the reveal of him on stage as he's slowly turning Mm. back into Kelp, I think is just better without there being too many suspicions about him before. Cause it kind of shows that like he probably could have like kept getting away with it. Yeah. You know, but he sort of makes the choice to sort of come clean.
1: Maybe what could have happened is it's it's very early in the movie where they're where they're doing the little watch gags. So you kind of forget about it a little by the end. Maybe it would have been nice if like at the very end, like the finale of the epilogue, um, when he and Stella walk off, maybe he just like, I don't know, takes out his watch to see like, what time it is. And then they just march away, maybe. I don't know, something. They march off to do the curtain call. What do you think of the curtain call?
0: Yeah, and then it's just the Halls of Montezuma playing yeah. through through the whole curtain call. That would have made that would have been nice.
1: I liked the curtain call, and I think they should do that in more movies. I
0: agree. You know, like because it is kind of nice to be able to have the put the put the face to the name.
2: Because
0: mm. a lot of times you'll be like looking, you'll be like you'll see a movie, kind of like what we're doing now, where it's like, who's that guy who played that bird? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. you're you're looking in the credits as the as the as the credits are rolling, and you're like, you know, well, I don't know what his name was, you know. But you'll see, like, you know, oh, Dan, played by this guy. You know, Margaret, Margaret, played by this <laughs> woman. And you're just like, I don't know who these people are. So being able to have, like, the face of the name. But this curtain call was kind of uh, funny because it just was sort of like...
1: It's an actual pro- curtain call. The professor's class. Yeah.
0: And it doesn't have their so, names or anything, yeah. but it's just, that, you know, they did the bow. It's very formal curtain call, yeah.
1: It's like a few years earlier they did that for... Um... the bad seed which was based on a broadway play so it kind of made sense but it was weird in that movie because it's kind of a very serious movie but it should be more common practice and i love the way the curtain call ended
0: yeah i like how because it's 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 showing all of the characters and with their with the actor's name and i like how they don't even need to put jerry lewis's name on it yeah like he comes out and it they don't even have, you know they don't have to say anything
1: and he just destroys the movie.
0: Yeah, and then he knocks over the camera and the movie just literally ends. There's nothing else after that. Yeah. Which was kinda cool.
1: He was very aware that people knew who he was. And on the when he's collecting the test papers at one point, you see the back of them, there's a drawing of like whenever you see like a drawing of Jerry Lewis in any sort of like official capacity, like that's like the way people are supposed to draw him. And it's just like there very faint on one of the backs of those tests.
0: Hmm. I liked the uh, the scene where he walks into the dean's office and gets him to do Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it goes on for a little while. It's it's a whole... It's one of those, like, sketch scenes. Um, or skit scenes, I guess. But I liked it because as it just goes on and on, it's almost all in one take. Mm. It's just, like, one camera angle. And, uh... You know, where he keeps interrupting him and says, like, oh, no, 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 you gotta, have it. you gotta have your cape on. Yeah, now go up there. You're doing great. You're doing great. And then he interrupts him again, and he's like, oh, no, you need your sword, you know. And as it goes on and on, it I almost felt like he was about to break character. Because you kind of hear him start to sort of, like, laugh. Yeah. And then he kind of, like, sits down, and you kind of see him, like, smiling and stuff. So when he, it's about when he puts the crown on. When he punches out the hat and puts, it on, it puts the crown on his head. And, I don't know, there's something... It felt like a moment from... Like a variety show or something. Yeah. And I I don't know. I liked it.
1: (laughs) There, um... I think for some reason watching that scene was what convinced me in college that I should do a, um...
2: I should do Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) It was that
0: scene. Guys like Buddy Love will love me.
1: (laughs) I'll be so cool. (laughs) Um... For some reason, I thought like, oh, you know what an interesting way to make money would be to be a screenwriter of porn, which I don't think that they're very high on the, the porn totem pole, the writers.
0: No, I would, I would very much, uh, I think they're, as far as where the money is going, <laughs> not a lot of it is paying, is uh, being paid to the writers.
1: Yeah. But for some reason, watching that scene, I was like, oh my God, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a screenplay for, like, a porn parody of The Nutty Professor. Like, specifically of the Jerry Lewis version of The Nutty Professor. And I, I couldn't decide between The Slutty Professor or The Naughty Professor.
0: Hmm. Both
1: of which, according to the internet, existed in oh, some I'm way. Sh- I'm
0: like, I, this, they've, they've got to exist, yeah. right?
1: but, like, I just... Because it was going to be, like, a female Professor Kelp. Yeah. With, like, some sort of sexual name instead of Kelp. Um, and a female dean. And it basically just involved, like, it would still be sort of the same basic setup, even down to removal of clothing at the end of the
0: scene. Yeah, it ends in a
1: very
0: <laughs> strange way where, yeah, he pulls his pants down for some he's reason. He's just
1: standing there pantsless with his sword in hand.
0: And yeah. <laughs> just leaves him be.
1: I really wish that the secretary had come in at the end.
0: Yeah, that was another moment where I was like, expecting <laughs> the secretary to come in and he's standing there with his pants down doing Hamlet. And, uh, but yeah, there wasn't really that payoff in the end. But
1: Yeah, for some reason watching that scene just hanging like, out in my college Like, Ooh, my college I want to see, see the porn version of this. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um, but he, he liked uh, doing those, like, long takes. Uh, often, And also pushing gags to the limit and sometimes beyond. Um, there's a very lengthy moment in The Ladies' Man where he is helping somebody put his hat on. I have no idea how long this moment actually is, but it just keeps going, he keeps fucking up this hat and the guy is getting more and more upset. Um and he just keeps going. And also in the ladies man, he would have for that that film really shows off how much Paramount realized like what they had in him, like how much money he could make for them. It's a very lavish production. He It takes place in a boarding house as I mentioned a while earlier Uh, and he had a whole house built on the soundstage so the camera could just go through the whole house every room in one shot these long crane shots and um, he also on his first film as a director of the Bellboy he pioneered video assist no kidding Which, I mean, before digital, we're like, okay, we're done with the shot. We can watch it right now. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't really know what you had, really, until you went and had everything printed and stuff. So he was like, okay, I'm going to be acting in this movie, and I need to do it quick because, like I said, he was doing it, like, between shows in Florida and stuff. Um, I need to watch right away what I just did and see if it's okay. So he just had this, like, you know, primitive little video system set up next to the camera so he could just have a vague idea of, how it worked and then that just became standard industry practice for years
0: that's pretty cool yeah yeah it's definitely it, it always pops up in like the you know kind of where you least expect it because you'd i don't know i'd imagine that like oh something like video assist probably came about in some huge production that where they had all this money to spend and whatever
1: yeah or like hey well Orson Welles was doing Citizen Kane and he had to act for himself right yeah. or Laurence Olivier doing Hamlet in the late 40s like nope it's just a low budget <laughs> Jerry Lewis movie made at a hotel
0: yeah yeah that's funny
1: so wh- where do you see yourself traveling to next in the world of Jerry Lewis
0: um well I'm definitely interested in checking out some of his uh maybe one of his films with, with Dean Martin mm. I feel like it was, makes sense
1: yeah I don't really know what to recommend the two that he did with Frank Tashlin are great which would be Artists and Models and Hollywood or Bust Artists and Models is the beginning of my lifelong crush on Shirley MacLaine okay especially when she's dressed up as like this uh, superhero called Batgirl or Batwoman maybe Bat Lady. I don't know she's dressed like a bat and it's sexy
0: Wait a minute, you're telling me there are superheroes in this movie? Okay, I'm definitely watching it now. Well, Jerry Lewis's
1: character is obsessed with comic books. Oh. And his friend, played by Dean Martin, um, is an artist. And Jerry has, he, he talks in his sleep, and he has these very, like, elaborate, highly, like, intricately detailed dreams. And Dean just, like, writes it all down, turns them into comic books. And uh, becomes a sensation. And there's also this uh, this female artist who ends up sort of being Dean's love interest. And uh, she uses Shirley MacLaine's character as a model. She sort of ends up as Jerry Lewis's love interest. And uh, it's neat.
0: Cool. Well, maybe I'll check that one out.
1: Yeah, they're hard to get a hold of. Usually you just kind of have to like, catch them on TV.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know why. They were huge at the time oh this is definitely one thing i do want to talk about all right so for some reason over the course of the past 50 odd years people like to use jerry lewis against the french anytime they want to like knock france they're like well the french love jerry lewis so whatever like it's it's weird and there's this idea like well you know, in America, you know, Jerry Lewis is just some guy that exists. But oh my god, in France, he's like a god. Jerry Lewis was really fucking popular in America for like 20 years. <laughs> and it's something Americans want to forget for some reason.
0: So, he was he actually really popular in France?
1: He was critically respected in France. That's the difference.
0: Okay, so they were taking his films more seriously. Yeah,
1: like a lot of the, the critics in the 50s and 60s who also became, like, the the filmmakers of the the Nouvelle Vague, like, uh, you know, Godard, Chabrol, Truffaut, etc., you know, working for most prominently Cahiers du Cinema, but also Positif, which usually disagreed with anything Cahiers du Cinema said. They both agreed, like, oh, no, this Jerry Lewis guy. You know, he is a great filmmaker. Um, I think some Americans were offended because they would also say, like, well, he represents the American, he is the mm. American character.
0: So now it's like, you know, they meet Americans <laughs> like, oh, you are American, eh? Hey, it's <laughs> And they're basically... <laughs> hey. And they're like, we're not all like that, you know?
1: Yeah, and... Um, and really, I mean, that's not how the average American would like to be seen.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> is as this, you know, buffoon. You uh, are a
0: simpering
2: <laughs> fool, eh? <hey? laughs>
1: um, but uh, it's weird that it's... Just, it, it, will just be said by people, like, oh, well, you know, the French love Jerry Lewis. It's like, well, for a long time Americans love Jerry Lewis also. It's like,
0: okay, well, yeah, like, Americans love a lot of dumb shit. A lot of dumber shit than Jerry Lewis movies. Yeah. So I don't know why we're getting all high and mighty (laughs) about it. Like, oh, yeah, I suppose Jerry Lewis is okay.
1: There was an episode of The Simpsons um, from some point in the 90s where, like, it sort of showed like, I think it was like 10 years later. So it was like The Simpsons in the future, which at this point would be like 15 years ago or so. I don't even know when that episode was.
0: Yeah. And they, um, uh, they predicted President Trump.
1: Did they? That's terrifying.
0: Because in that future, it's like Lisa is the president.
1: Oh, this isn't that episode. Oh,
0: okay. But you Yeah, do it a few times. <laughs> like Lisa was the president and the joke is that the president before her was donald trump
1: okay all right
0: because she's like yeah. they, they're, she, they're like dealing with they're like you know oh we got to get this thing straightened out after it was left by president trump or whatever oh god and it was like years and years before he was even you know considering running. although
1: it would have been i mean you have to be at least 35 to be president and Lisa was a third grader. Well, she is a perpetual third grader in the show, so that
2: could be...
0: No, the timing actually lines up. Yeah. Like, where she would be... When the episode aired, she would have been the the right age to be... I don't know. I I, I haven't really... I have actually haven't seen those episodes. I just read oh, okay. about it, so...
1: Right. But anyway, that's not the episode I was talking about anyway. Okay. Um, I mean, the show's been on for almost 30 years. They're gonna do a few things twice, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Now, this episode... It had, like, Lisa went to, like, a fortune teller and asked something about her love life, and then it showed, like, oh, here's, you know, you with, like, the man of your dreams or whatever. I think he was played by Hugh Grant, because it was the (laughs) mid-90s. Right,
0: and Hugh Grant was... The
1: man of everyone's dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. um, But it shows the two of them, you know, in future Springfield, uh, coming out of a movie theater, and on the marquee it says, like, Jim Carrey Film Festival, and they're coming out, and they're, they're talking about it. Like, oh, he was so underappreciated in his time. And, like, with just, like, one spastic gesture or movement, you can really see his genius. He says so much. You know, the French really understood. <laughs> and it's, I mean, and this would have been at a time right after, you know, I'm assuming, like, post-1994, which was the year of Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, and The Mask.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: So, and people were basically like, oh, we got a new Jerry Lewis here.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, Jim Carrey was one of those guys who, like, was essentially doing the the Jim Carrey thing.
1: Yeah, and even to the point of falling victim to wanting to take himself a little too seriously at times. Although he is a good actor, and he can do dramatic roles, but sometimes he overdoes it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's weird to, uh... Yeah, that, that would become an ongoing Joke about France for liking something that yeah. <laughs> Americans should be proud of? Or, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of weird wanting to disown someone like Jerry Lewis. All right. Well, this episode is uh, winding down. There's just one last thing that I wanted to bring up. As this is my first introduction to Jerry Lewis and entering into his whole wacky world, I suppose, I just thought that the, the introduction of him in this movie was just fantastic. Hmm. where the the whole classroom has been blown out and the fire the firemen come and knock the door down and the secretary runs in is looking for him and then he you know she opens up the door on the floor and he rises up out like like he's rising out of a coffin or something and it's like here he is here's jerry lewis
1: it's an amazing introduction of kelp and the only thing that might overshadow it is the amazing introduction of buddy love with all the, oh yeah the, that great oh, yeah. POV yeah shot as he's walking into the purple pit
0: definitely and
1: we at that point in time like if you don't know what the movie is about the last time you saw him he was becoming this monstrous thing on the floor of his lab you don't know what everybody's staring at yeah so there's
0: like, and i'm trying to read everyone's express because i don't know what he looks like Oh, okay i've never seen well you've seen the eddie murphy one i've seen the eddie murphy one so i'm assuming that he's gonna be like the suave you know guy but i'm trying to read everyone's expression as they're staring at the camera you know and uh i'm like i couldn't figure out I'm like are people shocked and appalled by him are they like you know are the women fawning over him but the guys have the same expression like what's going on here and then you see him and get to know his personality and then it all makes sense why he is the center of everybody's attention
2: yeah
0: but yeah wonderful introduction i mean the build-up to it is just like what does he look like what is he
1: what is he and the reveal is oddly like out of focus at first then it cuts to a shot from like a slightly different angle that is in focus it's like everybody can't quite make out what they're seeing at first and then it becomes crystal clear
0: yeah so yeah i mean there's a lot of examples like that in this movie that showcase not just jerry lewis's uh Abilities as an actor, but as a director as well.
1: I think he was a very gifted filmmaker and um, He would have benefited from Being surrounded maybe by less yes men who were um, Not so overwhelmed by his personality I don't know if this film needed to be an hour and 47 minutes long. I think this is the longest movie, mm. at least of that period.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, there there are a lot of those little scenes that you don't really need that are kind of like those extended little skits that happen in uh, there.
1: Well, if, if they're funny, I think it's fine, but there's also a lot of scenes, just like transition things that seem to just keep going.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, overall, I I really did enjoy it. And I'm glad to have, have seen it and I'm glad to be more knowledgeable about Jerry Lewis and what he's all about.
1: Alright. I'm glad I could be part of this for you.
0: <laughs> and I imagine that there are probably a lot of people maybe listening to this who have never seen any of his films, maybe heard of heard of him or, you know, or kind of know the persona and whatever. But uh, yeah. I would encourage people to check it out. I'd recommend it. If you're only going to watch
1: one, I think this would be the one. If you're going to watch a few, I'd say start with either The Bellboy or The Ladies' Man. And then watch Nutty Professor. And then if you want to see a Martin and Lewis movie, I'd say Artists and Models.
0: Cool. So, what are we watching next episode?
1: Well... I uh, this, we haven't
0: we haven't discussed it at all. So
1: yeah, like I threw out a few titles the last time we spoke, and then I decided that that's not what I want to do.
0: Okay, okay.
1: <laughs> so at some point next week, um, like over the course of next week, I'm going to do a lot of research on this movie, and then I'm going to show it to you, and then record an episode right after, and I'm not going to tell you what it is until you hit play.
0: Oh no! <laughs> but how is the audience supposed to watch it?
1: Well. Usually what happens is the previous episode gets uploaded either r- the day of or right after the recording of the following episode so once we watch the movie we'll record a little tag to this <laughs> and I'll say next week we're watching
2: <laughs> okay
0: okay yeah we can do that
1: okay you're you're cool with this because i I'm kind of really excited about this. <laughs>
0: all right I, I'm yeah we can make it work
1: all right awesome
0: <laughs> so here is where we'll edit in the next episode's film
1: okay guys don't tell Max but the next episode we're gonna do the 1987 Elaine May film starring Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty Ishtar
0: all right okay get ready for that Boy, I can't wait to watch that. Indeed. This is me not knowing what it is now again. Yeah. Um, all right, but I think that just about does it for today's episode. So thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we will see you next time. Uh-
2: Black magic has me in its spell That old black magic that you weave so well Those icy fingers up and down my spine The same old witchcraft when your eyes meet mine The same old tingle that I feel inside And then that elevator starts its ride. And down, down, down I go round, round, round I go like a leaf, that's caught in the tide I should stay away, but what can I?